This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. Uh-oh. It is again your favorite of all the podcasts. It is a podcast about swimming and a podcast about communism. This is your host, Karl Marx, and today, welcome to Karl Marx Pooling. At Karl Hi. Marx Pooling, we have all of the three major strokes to do in the pool. We have the backstroke, we have the breaststroke, and we have the butterfly. The butterfly. What about the freestyle, Marks? There is no freedom in <laughs> carpooling, Hunter. Oh my goodness. There is no freestyle. I- I'm sorry, I guess you didn't recognize my uh, very good, perfect impersonation of angles, uh, but you're- oh. that's me right now. You did a Zangles. really good, a really good... Do you want to hear my my Goebbels? Yeah, let me hear it. I don't have one. I, they all just sound horrifying and evil to me. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. It's the opposite of of that. Um, I love how you played perfectly into the joke that I've written without us talking about it. It was good. Uh, it's like we're professionals or something. Gang, yeah. welcome back to Carl Pooling, your favorite show. Now I will let you know. Hunter has had several medical procedures done recently. Mm-hmm. He had to get a checkup and a hundred. Did they did they give you the old probe? Tell the tell the audience. Uh, yeah, right into my vein. They uh, put that probe right in and took the blood right That's out. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm saying you're huh. getting older now. No. And <laughs> usually these checkups come with a prostate exam. And I just want you to share a little HIPAA um, information with the entire internet right now. Hunter, did they have to? Did did you have to have the old? I don't even want to make a euphemism for it. Christopher? No. I didn't have to do that. Because that's what you do when you turn 50. Oh, really? It's like, it's up there, man. It's up I've there. I've been avoiding I... the doctor specifically because of that. Because I feel like <laughs> oh he's going to be like, you're almost 30 now. So drop him and, and let's see. Nope. All right. Well, nope. thanks for sharing a little bit of your medical history, Hunter. Yeah, um, I did. I did have. Can I say pee in a cup? I had to pee in a cup. Yeah. And I, I haven't what done do that mean, in years. What do you mean can you say pee in a cup? I don't know. It just feels gross, <laughs> you know. Just I guess we were talking about colonoscopies, so <laughs> no, no, not endoscopy. I'm talking about just the old finger treatment. Oh not, no, no, not no. getting out the not getting out the snake with an eye. Oh no, no, no. Didn't have to do that either. But no, but I hadn't done that in a very long time, and I I felt weird about it. Like I felt like I was going to like the pediatrician or something. Like I I just I don't know. It was weird. So. Every time I do it, I'm alarmed by the warmth. Yeah, and I hope yeah. that's not too much for the audience, but I am every single time. I'm just like, oh lord, this is not a cool, refreshing froth like I, I envision it is. You know what I'm saying? It's very warm, um, uncomfortably warm. Steel dossier. Anyway, um, <laughs> those are two unrelated words. Those have nothing to do with each other. 
So anyway, Hunter has been has been um, frequenting the doctor's office and thereby having to reduce his his caloric and caffeine intake. So mm-hmm. he's addled in his own special way. If you can't tell by the additional sexiness, many said it was impossible, Hunter, for my voice to become any more voluptuous and and low and full. And Gallers. yet, you hear me now. I have been recovering, recovering, recovering. <laughs> I've been recovering from a touch of consumption. I think. Okay. I really want nothing more than to die like Doc Holliday. Sure. Um, yeah. And I am just sprinting in that direction at the moment. Nice. So, uh, this podcast is is brought to you by Musenex DM. Musenex DM, not actually, but. <laughs> I just want to let you guys know from the rip, if uh, if this totally goes off the rails, it is because I am on a, a cocktail of uh, cough syrups, and Hunter hasn't had a coffee in several several moons. Uh, that being said, thank you for joining us here at Carpooling. Not a show about communist swim lessons, but a show dedicated to the proposition that most men were created stupid, and you wow. have to come here and learn the proper opinions so that you don't look like an idiot out there in the real world. We talk about politics, religion, science, art, philosophy, narrative, and we break it all down in such a way that even you, our feeble-minded wet noodle listener, can understand. Mm -hmm. So with that, thanks for joining us. Listen at work. It's the show that'll get you fired. Let's go, Brandon, and let's get into it. Hunter, more belligerent when you're, like, sick? absolutely who doesn't okay. <laughs> okay. no i guess I just, there are a lot of people that kind of like roll over and are like ah, i want a, a thing but i just get yeah. mad at the world i can completely relate without my coffee this morning like i had no idea i was so angry if i didn't have caffeine in the morning like god that's so funny because my frustrated. my wife called me and was like <gasps> hunter's really angry today at me and i was like he's not angry at you He's angry at the world, and who wouldn't be? Um, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. quite quite fun. So, Hunter, we've got a we've got a cool topic today. So, kind of an original topic. We've got these two brilliant pieces of media that have been put out, mm-hmm. and uh, they were put out somewhat contemporaneously. I think one was put out on November sixteenth, and the other one looks like it was put out on, on November 9th. So coming up on a a month old and we found both of these pieces of media kind of um, independently of each other. And when we dove into them, just some of the opinion pieces that we'd been reading uh, as we follow the news, they're really in conversation with each other. And I think together they're greater than the sum of the parts. And we're going to add some of our own diagnosis onto that. It's a real look into what some of the disagreements you see between the left and the right and kind of an analysis of the way the left formulates ideas and then enacts those ideas and and what those might be doing to the country before we get to that which you should be you should be very excited for hunter there has been just a cavalcade of hilarious headlines and i am i'm sitting with bated breath to hear which one you have picked for us for this week's roadkill today, Christopher, I I'm doing something that I typically don't do. Um, I'm going back into the archives and I'm going to dig up as it were old news for today's roadkill. 
Um, wow. Okay. Not, not, not something we traditionally do. Uh, this comes from uh, then Senator, one of our favorites, Kamala Harris. Uh, and this is her Twitter feed. I'm going oh, to. Yeah. D so. Going straight to the Kamala Lala. Yes. Yes. The Kamala Lala. Oh, oh, that's, that's a hate crime I just did. Um, at Jesse Speaking Smollett. Speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> at Jesse Smollett is one of the kindest most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate. Christopher, if I told you this tweet is still up, you would tell me that it's clear the adults are not back in charge because even even ones such as I go back and delete my bad tweets. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't think I've ever deleted a tweet. What a joke. What a what joke. What a joke, dude. For those of you who aren't up on the news, Jesse Smollett was convicted of, uh, I think, five out of the six. That's correct. Uh, yeah, mis good Disorderly conduct felony charges mm -hmm. for his fake hate crime. The one that he missed had something to do with somebody wearing a mask. It was actually kind of a stupid, weak charge. But the five he mm -hmm. got convicted for all revolved around lying to the police and making a false report to the police. Mm. Uh, and Hunter, I, I can't remember specifically, but we did it. We talked about this closer to the time of the alleged attack. Yeah. And uh, I think this is just a vindication of the viewpoint that we shared there. Trying not yeah. to cough in the microphone, but oh, okay. uh, our, basic, what that was. our basic point was that there is a there is a situation in America where the demand for racism exceeds the supply, and that's yes. why things like Jesse Smollett happened. Yes. and now the legal system agrees with that. So uh, I don't know if you followed the trial at all, Hunter. Did you look at any of the the uh, actual details from the proceedings? Uh, every once in a while, something would pop out of it um, because we're not allowed to talk about. Uh, Miss Maxwell, uh, she doesn't exist apparently, and nothing that's, that's happening in her trial matters. Words. Right. Uh, this has been the news this week. You know, it's the most interesting trial that's going on. It seems like we went to Rittenhouse, to Ahmaud Arbery, to Maxwell, and now we're at Jesse Smollett. That's just been the flavor of the news this month. Um, and so things would pop up, and the one thing that that uh, just tickled me uh, beyond the fact that jesse seems incapable of saying yes i did lie prosecutors which yeah. he just can't he just can't do for some you reason think it would have saved a, him at least some time but right whatever. right right be a little bit contrite dude um but my favorite thing that has come out so far is where he asked the uh guy who was reading his uh text messages to stop saying the n-word and basically abbreviate it which that is, was freaking hilarious oh that's that that's is just gold right gold. there <laughs> yeah um, that's you can't be mad at that i don't care who you are so yeah, it's so funny. Uh, one of my favorite bits of it was that he admitted to having sexual relations with one of the brothers that faked the hate crime with him. Did he really? There was sexual contact and that they visited a homosexual bathhouse together. And I was like, I thought the Maxwell trial was supposed to be the salacious <laughs> one. But regardless, um, that that happened. And then the brother took the stand and denied it. He's like, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> so seriously that was pretty funny wow um, 
yeah and and of course i don't have i didn't watch as much of that trial as i watched the rittenhouse trial but yeah apparently sure. he the other brother denied denied it completely what wow. a joke um wow. and that's not a great look either to be like yeah i was a victim of a hate crime they were white oh they were pale okay they were black well they were they they hated gay people well actually i had sex with one of them so it's yeah. just like this unending cavalcade of an unraveling of his story and it's it's impressive he Jesse Smollett took the stand, and let's just say he did not do as impressive a job as the Kenosha kid, Kyle Rittenhouse. He kind of just dunked on himself for a couple hours. Pretty hilarious. Hmm. Pretty hilarious stuff. Um, but but good news. Two two takeaways. One, the original takeaway: there is a a a shortage of racism in America. The the supply is not sufficient to meet the demand. And also, Jesse Smollett loves racism. He's a huge fan of racism. He actually goes out of his way to create racism where there is none. And you can you can argue that away if you want to, and you're a fool if you try, because it is exactly what happened in this case. There are people, and some of them quite powerful, that are hopelessly addicted to racism. They love it. They'll make it if they can't buy it or they'll buy it if they can't find it and they can't get enough of it. And that's exactly what happened in the Justice Smollett case. He has lost all credibility. He has lost the ability to say that he is against racism. He is for it. He makes it. And the, the reason this matters is because when you fake racism where it doesn't exist, it further divides tribally along those same lines. And so he's made people who are watching this more cautious, more suspicious of their neighbor, more tribalistic by claiming this thing happened that wasn't true. And so he is for racism. That's my point. I'm sticking to it. If you want to learn some more about this, go listen to Barry Weiss's podcast. Uh, her most recent episode had on Wilfred Riley, and he is the author of Hate Crime Hoaxes. And they actually spend a long time talking about how I'm there assuming that's been... a book about hate crime hoaxes and not just yes. that he is the like the author and perpetrator of many hate crime hoaxes. Right. He's not the Hitler of hate crimes, you know. He's uh he's more like the guy who wrote the book on it. And he just goes through uh, several um uh, of these that have occurred left and right where people have basically, you know, made up stories whole cloth for victimization status. Um and so it's it's a really interesting read or listen um i haven't read the book but really encourage you to do that if you want to learn more about that and the consequences of that which christopher gave you a good look at what some of those are so yeah anyway. yeah well and that's that's just that's great i i love the further reading it's important to keep that in mind that victimhood status is so prized that mm -hmm. people quit hating racism to achieve it and mm. at, at a minimum they aren't as disgusted or distraught by racism as they are in need of victimhood status. It's mm -hmm. a perverse set of, of incentives that we have provided to people as a country, and we should do our best to rectify that. One of the ways you do that is by speaking the truth. And mm -hmm. so, welcome to Carl Pulling. All right, Hunter. Um, yeah, by the way, just while we're talking about Jesse Smollett, or Smollett, depending on how French you're feeling at the moment, it is hilarious to go back and read the tweets of all the goobers in so good. in our political system who could not find enough massage oil 
to rub his shoulders fast enough in their political gay bathhouse. It, mm-hmm. It's just hilarious to look back when we all knew it was a hoax from like day one and a half. So well, you saw too. Uh, he had help from like Michelle Obama's lawyer or something like that. I mean, like it was this was a this was an insane case that sounded ridiculous on its face and grifted some of the most powerful people in the nation. Um, it, it's 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 well worth being aware of. Now, are those powerful people stupid, or do they love racism too? Hmm. I don't know how powerful you get by being stupid. I'll just put it that way. So, anyhow, Hunter, thank you for bringing up Smollett. You're welcome. Let's jump into today's topic. So, like I mentioned, we've got two articles for you. Uh, we've got we've got an article from the right, an article from the left. The combination of them is quite powerful, and then we're going to give you that that pure, unadulterated, uncut, Carl pooling truth as we combine them at the end. So to start, Hunter, I want to talk about this article. It's a Substack article by Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald, Hunter, tell people a little bit about Glenn Greenwald for those that don't know, the uninitiated. Yeah, Glenn is a uh, – he's one of these famous Substack authors who – or journalists, rather, who basically, you know, Barry Weiss, uh, Matt Taibbi, they all worked in various different media outlets and kind of got sick and tired of uh, not being able to say the truth and the not being able to do journalism, having to carry out the narrative at the places they were working. Uh, if you haven't read Barry Weiss's goodbye letter, it's really worth doing that. Uh Glenn used to work at The Intercept and had a major falling out on a story of his that's not coming to mind at the moment. But now he writes on um, Substack, kind of giving things out. It's really interesting, Christopher, that you said uh, this is the story that you're talking is coming from the right. Uh, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, these very famous Substack journalists, they're all lefties. Every single one of them. They well, are- yes and no. Like, they're not leftists. They come from historically liberal media, right? Yes. Well, and they also, like, Glenn is, you know, big time. His political views skew left, if that makes sense. I I Um, agree with you. What I mean by that is he's very clearly red-pilled in a a variety of different areas. Yes. You know what I'm saying? He definitely does some good water carrying for stuff that happened under the Trump. Re- I think it's going to come out wrong. He definitely defends the the media's reaction to Donald Trump. What I think is the same about all these people is they've separated their politics and journalism, right? And what's happened is their politics are what their politics have always have been. Nothing's changed there. But what has changed is their uh, um, anger at not being able to do their jobs anymore. Of right, being right. of being told that they have to carry the the narrative forward and not being able to just present people with the facts. Um, if you want a better look into all this, uh, Matt Taibbi was just on Joe Rogan's podcast, so there's three hours of listening to him go off about this. But um, this article is really interesting. Um, Hunter, can I can I to for there for a second because I actually sure. want to make a point on what you just made. Sure. Uh, sometimes when I talk about the right or the conservative movement. Uh, AKA the ascendancy, the only correct viewpoint to have. Uh, 
as of now. A lot right. of people think I'm talking about the Republican movement or maybe conservative ah. populism. And mm -hmm. actually what I'm talking about is this brilliant, brave new world where only the conservatives and the, quote, red-pilled from the left are engaged mm -hmm. in right now. It's the, it's, the, it's the Dave Rubens of yore. It's, sure. the, it's this idea that Matt Iglesias comes on Ben Shapiro's show when yes. Shapiro never goes on uh, to be interviewed by the Young Turks. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's this broadening out and widening of this cultural middle where you can actually have a conversation even if you have different priorities, but we're, we're built around the facts. We're built around the truth. We're built around telling the truth and discussing the truth and not having to get your way about everything necessarily Mm -hmm. and engaging in democracy the way that it's supposed to be engaged with. You know, that's one of the things that, that I think the conservatives love is, is that's one of the reasons why we love the Constitution because it's the greatest document that ever purported to tell people how to engage in democracy and sure. why to engage in democracy. And that's sure. kind of what, when I'm talking about Glenn being on the right, that's the I right I'm talking about, now. the right where we are currently engaged in this great discussion, this I great telling of truth. That's the that's the right I care about, not the populist right, not the Republican Party. But anyhow, I digress. I honestly think um, that was the IDW, you know, yeah. three years, three four years ago, and it honestly needs a rebranding, um, just because the IDW is, didn't make it, so to speak. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it it broke down a good bit. Um, Everybody couple... from it still made it, but it's it's it needs a reignition, a reignition. Yeah. I don't know about Sam anymore. Like, and that's, that's kind of the sad part. Yeah. There's a couple people that I guess I would say did drop out. Now that yeah. It. And I even think like, I love Eric Weinstein. Uh, and now I'm concerned if it's, what, what, what was the guy who, who touched all the girls in Hollywood? Is Harvey, it Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein. He's Steen. Okay. So I had it right. Weinstein. Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, whatever. I tried. Okay. I, you did I, made your best. I did made a concerted effort to make sure that you know, I'm not talking about that one. You know, like his whole thing was like, he was going to like, you know, push us into that next phase, that new portal or whatever his podcast was. And I just don't think he had the answer quite honestly. And I think yeah. that kind of, and then Dave kind of fell apart. And so like, there's just a few people that are like not there anymore, which is, which is sad. But that, that the point I'm trying to make is, you you landed on a, a part of that that still exists that needs that needs a new name and I don't necessarily mind calling it the right but the problem is it's taken but I, I understand what you're saying I like I like what you're getting at the, the, well and the problem is is that it is closer to the right right now right maybe yeah, it shouldn't it, be it but it is it, it, yeah. yeah and I think it I think it will be until there's a political reshuffling in America but but it it that's the perfect way to say it Iglesias mm -hmm. comes on Ben's show. Not yeah. the other way around. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. I think I think that that's key. We could have a reignition of that. You know who the people are that really stuck around? And this is just a, a, a side point. Are the uh -huh. people that are religious. The people that realize that there is a moral underpinning to their political ideas. I'm talking about people like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, of course. Even, even uh, Stephen, to a lesser de degree, Stephen Crowder. These people ah. that realize that there's a religious moral underpinning to your to your political ideology, those are the people that really, I think, made it. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, that uh, side point, but an interesting one, I think. Sure, yeah.
Good. And it actually does fold into what we're talking about today. So why don't we, with That's with true. that fun discussion aside, what an interesting little morsel for you listeners. Let's jump into Glenn Greenwald's article. So the title of this article, Hunter, is Kyle Rittenhouse, Project Veritas, and the Inability to Think in Terms of Principles. <coughs> I added that bit at the end. That's not actually part of the title. Oh, man. Uh, uh, that's good. Am I going to cut that out of the show? No. Go screw yourself. It's my show. My show. I can do what as I want. As I want. If I want to yeah. cough in your ear, I will. Yeah. Um, Where are my Doritos? Anyway. <laughs> Hunter, I saw a banned Doritos commercial this week. And now that you've said okay. the word Doritos, I'm going to have to talk about it. Sure. Of course. It's these guys sitting around, and one of them is eating Doritos, and he's licking his own fingers, the, the Dorito dust off his fingers. Yeah. And his buddy, his buddy, they're all like, like kind of rough and tumble looking guys. Okay. And his buddy goes, use the finger cleaner. And he's like, oh, yeah. Why does it only work with Doritos? And he goes, I don't know. This guy sticks his finger through a hole in the wall. Nope. And on the other side is a guy nope. working in an office who then proceeds to lick the Dorito dust off of his finger. It is... The most buck wild commercial I've ever seen, and it's banned in America. Yeah, but I'm like, no doubt. how did it get made? Like, what are you people thinking in the Doritos That's marketing insane. department? It was sickening. Okay, Glenn Greedwald. <laughs> Subtitle Those whose worldview is bereft of universally applied, key part, universally applied principles and based solely on tribal allegiances assume everyone else is plagued by this very deficiency. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you the. The, uh, what's that thing you do at the beginning of a paper that says what you're going to talk about? The thesis, thesis up front, and then we'll go through some of the evidence that Glenn Greenwald provides. So here's the basic thesis. By examining some contemporary stories in the media, it is clear that the left does not apply their principles that they claim to uphold, or or let me let me put it this way, does not apply rigid principles to their thinking, and instead they determine, because other people find disagreements with them, that they are the unprincipled ones. Very interesting. And so he does this through two stories, and of course he alluded to them at the beginning, those being Project Veritas and Kyle Rittenhouse. So, For those of you who don't know, let me tell you a little bit about what happened recently with the FBI and Project Veritas, uh, because he discusses that at the beginning of this article. It was probably about a month ago. Early in the morning, two offices, uh, private residences that are associated with the business Project Veritas, were raided by the FBI. Now, the reason they were raided by the FBI so the FBI says, is that there was alleged misconduct in their handling of a journal that is purportedly Ashley Biden's journal, so so Joe Biden's daughter's journal. Now, that article or that journal was published. It was not published by Project Veritas. I don't know exactly who published it. I read it. It's very bizarre. There's some claims in that journal that are Quite strange. And I'm going to refrain from reporting on them here uh, for the same reason that Project Veritas didn't publish it, actually. And that's that it's unverifiable, truly. It's it it's not clear 
whether this was actually Ashley Biden's journal. The best evidence that we have for it is that the FBI raided Project Veritas's offices to recover it, which kind of seems like it proves that it might be real. But anyhow, that that is what it is. The issue is that James O'Keefe took to uh, his YouTube channel to inform his viewers and his audience that he did have possession of the journal briefly. He tried to verify it, couldn't, and then made attempts to return it to law enforcement. Now, they say that he stole the journal. Apparently, this was picked up at a residence that Ashley Biden had moved out of. It was left behind. And then another organization got it, copied it, and then tried to sell it to Project Veritas. They purchased it and did not publish it and tried to return it to law enforcement. That's the story from James O'Keefe's perspective. Now, as a journalist, Hunter, mm-hmm. they did nothing wrong. Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it's quite clear. And, and maybe you could go into this a little bit, but there have been plenty of leaks of illegal-to-publish information that actually was published and gained illegally, but the protections afforded to journalists helped them out, especially in the Trump era. Maybe you've got something to say about that. Well, I mean, like, one of the most classic is... Uh... Oh, I can't remember who the FBI's under the FBI, uh, James Comey, James Comey, James Comey was um, he basically was able to mention to the president, you know, that they were looking into something about the Steele dossier, Trump at the time. Right. And it was from that that somebody in the room was able to leak to BuzzFeed, you know, that the Steele dossier that they had in their investigation was something that the FBI was looking at. It became news. It became it was their second source. It was the FBI director saying it and bada bing, bada boom. Uh, they were able to actually publish the Steele dossier then with their journalistic ethics intact. Um, because they had had a verifying source, which turned right. out to be themselves. Right. right. It, it, basically. Um, and and there may be a detail wrong there, but it, it's definitely one of them. The other thing that's happened here that's really, really uh, nasty, especially to the James O'Keefe story, is one of the reasons this may have, that this became really weird is James is currently in a lawsuit with the New York Times. Right. right. And what happened is after the FBI started raiding his apartments, all of a sudden – the New York Times is publishing articles referencing James O'Keefe's legal strategy with private communications to his lawyers. How in the world did the New York Times get that? Because the FBI is the only one else who had those documents, was leaking them to the New York Times. Right. Utter, utterly disgraceful. Utter, I mean, it, it, how are you supposed to have a suit against you know a private institution when a public institution comes in and literally steals stuff? From, well, not steals, but seizes in a raid your stuff right well no maybe steals i mean if they didn't have if they didn't have proper uh suspicion of a crime here yep because they they didn't treat treat o'keefe as a journalist maybe steals is exactly the right language but of course that remains to be seen we'll we'll see more as as the details come out right so you know those are some times where it's just been clearly obvious that the materials that yep Hello? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Hello? 
Are hey. you hearing me now, Mr. Krabs? Yeah, I have always been hearing you. Okay, I, I you froze on my end. Weird. Um, have you stopped the recording yet? Nope. Okay, so I, I had just mentioned that maybe stealing is the right verb, but we'll know more when the details come out. Yes, that makes sense. And I think there's some things we have to see there to like know if that's the truth or whatever, but there, there's some crazy stuff going on. And, you know, with it, it seems that like some pretty loosey-goosey stuff has happened in the journalistic world, right? Yeah. Where uh, different sources have made things available to each other. And because they're journalists, not a whole lot has been looked into that. Well, for some strange reason... That same courtesy is then extended to O'Keefe. Uh, how many times, Christopher, did we hear during the um, uh, the Trump presidency that journalists were under attack, that they were, you know, the, the defenders of demo- democracy, and that, you know, they they really, really thought that that authoritarian approach that Trump took to them as being the enemies of the people was, you know, going to send the country to hell, essentially, right? It's yeah. you know, some terrifying. Well, uh, pearl clutching happened. Let let me say a couple things about that. I don't like the the. I I did not. I did not like the statement that you know these news organizations were the the enemy of the people. Completely agree with you. And the here I'll tell you the only reason I really didn't like it. I only didn't like it because you're quoting Stalin. Like I, <laughs> I think that's usually a mistake. It typically um, is. However, however, what what is more indicative of attacks on journalists saying that they're the enemy of the people or raiding their apartments without proper notification and being enabled to do so because you don't qualify them as journalists so that they're not afforded the same journalistic protections as other agencies. What Mm -hmm. sounds more like Stalin? If we're we're going to talk about playing out of the Stalinist playbook, what's more Stalin-esque? Saying that they're the enemy of the people or having secret raids on their apartments? I would argue that it's the latter. And I'll say this too. What is activity that could label you as an enemy of the people? Could it be a news agency colluding with the FBI to target a smaller news organization that it's currently engaged in a lawsuit with a defamation lawsuit with. I think that if you are using your institutional power as a major news agency in America to broker deals with the FBI, to target your, your opponents and your competition, I think we're getting into enemy of the people territory. I feel somewhat comfortable saying that. I, I, I don't know how you would antagonize yourself to the smaller people much more than exerting your influence over the public sphere and having them leak their legal strategy to you. That sounds like some pretty antagonistic behavior. Right. I think we need to just share with the people, you know, what is this comment calling James O'Keefe, not a journalist coming from? Right. And so, right. Well, let let me just say there's two, two prongs to that. And I kind of just addressed the first one. And then I want to jump into the second one, which I think is where you're heading. The first one is the legal context, that there are specific legal protections for journalists that Mm -hmm. don't apply to everyday citizens in what they can leak, what they can report on, et cetera, ad nauseum. If you're doing the work of a journalist effectively, there's additional legal protections afforded to you. That's the prong one. Prong two is, and that's, that's the prong that the FBI conducted the raid with in the first place. 
-hmm. in theory, this would not be legal to do to a journalist if, um, if you were treating them as such in a legal context. Now we get into the real, the real thrust of Gren Greenwald's article, though. Sprague, too, is that the media is coming out of the woodwork to deny that James O'Keefe is a journalist carrying water for the New York Times and the FBI. Right. right. So that, that's, that's its whole separate argument. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, the, question, the thing that you may be wondering is why in the world are they doing this? Uh, if you don't know James O'Keefe, you don't know Project Veritas, right? What they do is they essentially go get live video of different people in different organizations and leak stuff that they say, um, right? With you know, and what you could call it is the most guerrilla, honest journalism you can possibly do. Now, some of his methods are a little weird, right? Sometimes he gets people on camera and they say stuff, and he's like, "This is a CNN." you know, tech executive, and it's like a guy who answers phones, but he's saying the thing that fits the, the memo. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not true. But you can, there's are, there are some times where James O'Keefe shows something out and you're like, holy cow, is this, how in the world is this real? Right. And he yeah. just exposes some major stuff and it, it, it's useful and viable journalism. Well, you know, if you have an enemy that that's, that, that is that competent, Right and is able to slip under the radar, you want to take him out, man. And you want to do it by any way you possibly can. And you see these entities acting in such a way. Um, the thing is, James O'Keefe's style of journalism is not unique to him. And there's plenty of left-wing journalists that these outlets have praised for doing the exact same type of um, journalism in the past, right? But because we live in this new world, this new Orwellian place where we can redefine terms on the fly – Right. They're now coming after him. And Glenn's article does a great job of kind of explaining that piece out. But essentially, you have the New York Times, who's in a lawsuit with a with a journalist who's praised the other journalists who've acted in the same manner he has coming after him now for this thing that it seems he handled with integrity. Right. He never did anything with the uh, journal in question. He never leaked it. Um, he had it in his possession. Right. And ever acted on it. Something may come out that disproves that. But the very, very strange sense. And these people, especially who express the principle of protecting our journalists, of affording them rights, of allowing them to be uh, a spokesperson to power. Right. To speak truth to them. Come out of the woodwork when that journalist doesn't have the same view as them. They don't hold the principle for people they dislike, which is the thrust of the article. Right. And he gives a couple of examples of that. Like, um, like the Times publishing Daniel Ellsberg's um, Pentagon Papers and a couple different examples of where people have used, quote, guerrilla journalism and it's been praised by the mainstream media, right? And right. here, and they're talking about what, a, what an important work of journalism it is and now we're talking about how James O'Keefe is not a real journalist because he uses these guerrilla tactics when a lot of people have, have used those same tactics in the past. In fact, Glenn Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald has a specific connection to this because he was accused of, of, be, of acting illegally without the protection of journalism based on some of the ways that he covered some of the Assange Snowden um, reporting. Where right. he to discredit was, him. 
yeah, I think Diane Feinstein basically accused him of, of aiding a criminal and asked why he wasn't arrested because mm-hmm. he simply connected and reported on these people without turning them over to the authorities. It's kind of a bizarre string of events. Mm-hmm. Regardless, that's the that's the world we find ourselves in. Half the people are are praised for their, their vigilante journalistic behavior, and now James O'Keefe is being targeted. And so Glenn explains the evidence for that, and that brings him to his main point. Why? Why is it okay for some and not okay for others? Why is right. O'Keefe being targeted in what clearly looks like uh, he's being railroaded? Uh, you, you know my opinion on this. There are two real journalists in America, and they are James O'Keefe and Andy No. Um, <laughs> truly. I mean, they're, they're on the ground doing the Lord's work. Actually, I have an even more important point to make on that is that uh, it's the point of the late great Andrew Breitbart that if you have a flip phone with a camera on it now you're a journalist and I think that's the most relevant um, the most relevant description of them all however this same slander was used against Julian Assange let's say too he said he wasn't a journalist now I think Julian Assange is a journalist who broke the law but I think he's a journalist right Um, Mm -hmm. and it's it's being very very temperamental what folks are being praised and which folks are being persecuted for uh, this raid on O'Keefe. It's interesting how many people actually came out and defended James O'Keefe as well, saying you can't do this to journalists, while some of the other journalists uh, in the world came out and and praised the FBI. Very strange dichotomy broke out. And when you have this interesting rift between, let's say, the more the more independently thinking journalists that mm-hmm. are in the mainstream media and the bought and sold journalists in the mainstream media, you, you know, you've got a real sticky wicket on your hands. And so, so this is Glenn Greenwald's argument as he continues to make it. He effectively says, um, uh, uh, let me just say this. For instance, the ACLU came out and defended O'Keefe. Like that's crazy. If the ACLU right. is saying there's something nefarious going on here about a right-wing journalist you know you've got to you've got to ask some real questions so he makes his argument why is it that these purported journalists you know these these folks who have graduated from journalist school and are therefore real journalists because they work at a real journalistic institution why is it that they are arguing for more censorship? Why are they arguing for a narrowing of journalistic freedom? That's a strange thing, right? Why are they praise why are they they asymmetric in their praise right. of journalism? And his answer is that they are not able to think in terms of principles. Mm. That they don't have principled journalistic ethics at the core of their decision making so instead it devolves into tribalism and if you agree with the individual who is who is acting in a certain manner then he is good and if you disagree with a different individual who's acting in the self-same manner then he is of the highest evil and his persecutors are correct So I think what we why why do we like journalism? Why is it something we want to defend? Well, because we want the guy who's going out there and seeing things with his own eyes to tell us exactly what it is he sees, no filter. 
right? Tell us what's happening. That's that's the value of journalism. That's what matters is the on the ground. These are the facts, right? And a journalist's job is how it used to be, right? From the old school days when you hear people, you know, wax on about it is they were terrified when they posted an article because if they got something wrong, if they missed it, you know, that that could be their career, right? Because their job was to give the information. Um, But how many times do people mess up and it doesn't matter, right? How many people got this Jesse Smollett thing wrong, right? And their careers are fine and there's no mea culpa and there's people who are possibly guilty of libel and the United States government, right? And nobody cares. Well, to be clear, Hunter, to be clear, I wouldn't say that Kamala Harris's career is fine, but I understand your <laughs> I understand your greater point. And that all to say is, you know, our journal our journalists are speaking the same language, right? And and that's why they get so scared when someone actually does real journalism. When someone yeah. actually stands out there on their own two feet and says, This is what I see. And so the right is is used to serve something that speaks with one voice. Right. And not the people who speak by themselves. And the whole reason that right exists is to protect the little guy. Right. Right. And so right. It, it's it, Thomas Paine's common sense. Yes, exactly. Which I think Greenwald refers to in his article even. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so let's, let's build on that narrative because we yep. still got to get to this, the second piece. Yes. So why, why is this the climate? So I, I mentioned earlier that the ACLU defended O'Keefe. They did, but they did so by very quietly putting a statement on their website. Yes, not even a tweet. Yep, that's Not a right. tweet, not a press conference, just putting a statement on their website. Why? Why is that the case? Why, why, if they support the idea that this is an attack on the press, then why would they not be more vocal about it? The answer is because there is a tribalist identity at play here where if you defend the principled rights of those who you disagree with politically, it will be seen as a tacit endorsement of that individual. This is clear-cut, unprincipled thinking. And that's why the ACLU quietly put the statement out there. So they wouldn't look like they were taking up the cause of James O'Keefe because they're supposed to disagree with James O'Keefe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He makes the same point about the Rittenhouse trial. Anybody with a a neural network of at least four nodes who watched that trial knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent. And then anybody with only two nodes knows that the state did not sufficiently prove his, his guilt, right? And they have the burden of proof in this case. So anybody can look at that trial and say that the jury reached a proper verdict. The evidence was clear, very clear. And it it, it is at least very clear that they did not prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Which is the, which is the standard who on the left is saying that, right? You know, I listened to Chank Uyghur completely pout and melt down entirely over the verdict, how it's racist, how it's just a furthering of this American culture where white men can do whatever they want, whatever, whatever. The reason is because any defense of Kyle Rittenhouse's rights is seen as a tacit defense of Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm -hmm. That means that the tribal politics 
supersedes the principled thinking in both mm. of these cases. That's mm. Glenn Greenwald's argument in a nutshell, that these Good. people are incapable of engaging in principled thinking because their, their framework, their hierarchy of value has tribal endorsement above principle. Right. The, the, they do not think principles, right? They think in uh, truisms and yes. uh, propaganda that they can use to further their political power, essentially, right? Yes. And it's not like there aren't bad actors everywhere in the world who do that. But when the message is the same everywhere, right, and when the fear is the same everywhere in the media and in all these different places uh, and in the politicians as well, and when that power over there is coalesced, right – it, it, it's it's worse than it being as one person, right? right. It just is, is when that concentration exists. And, and and I love what you said, Hunter. There's bad actors everywhere. Yes, but this kind of goes back to what that little what we thought was an aside at the beginning of the show. Iglesias comes to Ben Shapiro. Right. Exactly. This is key. This is a yeah. problem endemic with the left. The right currently is more yeah. engaged in principle thinking than the left is, and right. that's not what we want. What we would rather have is a a diverse set of viewpoints engaged in principle thinking that would be a new right so to speak yes point the one that i was describing making. and it would be the principle being there would be free speech which is matthew iglesias deserves to come on the ben shapiro show and talk because even if we don't agree with his points he deserves to be heard and we might learn something from him yep it's the petersonian right. idea that both the left and the right are crucial parts to the conversation yes exactly so, now, yeah, oh. let's let's uh, oh, you let's pause. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that's good audio. That's let's pause audio. for just a second and move to the next article because yep. that's Glenn, Glenn Greenwald's argument. We're going to go to a different video and then we're going to we're going to mash these together in a in a very a lovely and, and edifying way that only Carl Pulling can provide. This is a video called Liberal Hypocrisy is Fueling American Inequality. Here's how. By a video journalist from the New York Times of all places named Johnny Harris. Very strange video for the New York Times to put out. Um, a very rev revelatory video. Now, the reason that they put this video out is not to point out something fundamentally flawed in the left-wing viewpoint. It is Correct. a call to arms to rededicate oneself to a left-wing viewpoint. However, uh, that will never happen. That's not the point. That's not the goal of these people. So Johnny Harris, his, his video is much simpler. It's about 14 minutes long. Go look it up on YouTube. He makes three major points. And the thesis is that when they have the ability to enact their will, in local communities. States. Yeah. Liberals do not adhere to their party platform. So Johnny Harris takes the Democratic Party position on three different topics and then examines three blue havens, bastions, uh, where the, the Democrats control all of the seats and, and levers of power in those locations and then explains how they don't live up to their own standards, their own platform. One might say their own principles. 
Um, I would be that one, and I'll be saying that later. So he starts off with housing, and he talks about specifically housing in California and then even more specifically in Palo Alto. Hunter, can you can you run us through that argument quickly? Yes. Um, essentially, if the, to take a long argument and distill it down, uh, if you want to reduce inequality in um, poor communities – one of the first things you have to do is have affordable housing, right? And the number way that you do that is you don't zone out affordable housing, right? You allow apartment, uh, uh, multi, multi-family dwellings, multi-family um, dwellings. Yep. Now exactly. let me also say this. Not only is that how you might achieve more equality, mm-hmm. but it's also a major tenet of the democratic platform. It is. Yeah. All throughout the, um, their document is, uh, stating with the with the uh, this is my uh, my non caffeine brain working here their their political party uh, thesis right what what they stand for um, through throughout the Democrats version of that uh, affordable housing appears in it over and over and over and over and over again I think it is it's a hundred times they mention housing um, housing is a huge piece um, and so specifically in California we've known this forever, housing prices are through the roof. Well, why? Well, it's because of zoning. And what's happening is local municipalities are not allowing uh, multi-tenant housing to be zoned in their communities. And specifically in Palo Alto, they wanted to take one block, essentially, and move it into multifamily. And the families who lived around there wouldn't do it. Well, they vote blue, they hate Trump, and they do all, and, you know, they they believe everybody should be able to get an abortion. You know, these are the good guys, right? How come they won't do what they say? Well, they were concerned that their housing value would plummet, right? And right. then that the view around their house would, would look terrible. So it's what we typically hear is the nimbyism, right? The not in my backyard, right? And Exactly, so, exactly. And, they have yeah. these principles, right? But they are hoping mm-hmm. that someone else very far away we'll from it. them will enact them. Not Correct. me, personally, right? Right, um, right, right. I think you summed that up perfectly. So let's go on to his second point. He talks Can I uh, say oh, one yeah, thing yeah, yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. This is actually the point of Matthew Iglesias' book. His name is coming up a bunch today. Uh, one Billion Americans. Uh, and the whole idea of one billion Americans, the whole idea behind that book is if we want to compete with China, we have to have a billion people living in America. Right. And it's a really interesting book because that that's his whole perspective is that's how we do it. And he tries throughout the entire book, make these points where right and left individuals can come together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously left leaning policy because he wants more immigration. Right. And things like that. But anyway, and the thing he argues throughout that entire book is affordable housing, right? If you want to have that population growth that can handle these urban centers, if you don't want people to get left behind, you have to make housing affordable. Um, And I think what we continuously see is people just completely, no matter where they live, not care about that at all. And it's it's interesting. You can buy the argument or not. That's the way to beat China. But anyway. If you actually want to have, um, if you actually want to have, here's a a little, you know, a foreshadowing element. If you want to have a billion people in America, what you need is religion. If you look at the, <laughs> re- the replacement rates of, of individuals having children, only religious people are effectively breeding at above replacement rates. America's on a decline from a population perspective based on the, the uh, 
prospects of our current replacement rates, the trend in our replacement rates. Um, Matt, so Matt just, actually a, just makes, a little side point. Matt actually makes that point, which just shows you how of a how much he tries to bring everybody in on that book. It's yeah. like he's totally for religious family. He, he even mentioned, I think, on a podcast that he would be up for giving religious family like tax credits, I think. I think I'm saying this right, so that they would have more babies, right? That, that's how much he believes in this argument of his book. So yeah. it's like very interesting it's, it's idea. It's a very he, interesting book. And, and yeah. competing with China is certainly going to become more important as time goes on, not less. Yes, um, yes. Great, great point. So the second point of of this New York times video journalists piece taxation is taxation. Right. Johnny, Johnny Harris talks about how there's a, there's this idea in the democratic platform about taxing the rich, that we should have progressive tax policies where you pay more based on how much you're able to pay. If you make more money, you pay more money. And then he shows very clearly that many of the places with the most regressive tax policy in the entire country many of the states are blue states in fact he ranks them first to 10 second is texas with having the most regressive tax policy but the first is washington state um, mm -hmm. home of such such suburbs as portland and seattle you might yeah. have heard of them um yeah. i guess no i'm sorry portland's technically across the the bay in oregon but seattle seattle washington um it, they're about what like a mile apart Regardless, they have incredibly regressive tax policies in Washington. Washington is one of the bluest states in the entire nation, and they have the most regressive tax policies in the world. And there are many rich residents of Washington who would purport that they support things like progressive tax policies. For instance, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, both residents of Washington, where they hold giant institutional power and the left holds all governmental institutional power and yet and yet they do not have a progressive tax policy why well these very rich people that would live there would have to pay more so it's just like the first argument they don't actually want the policies that they purport they think they sound nice but they don't actually make any effort to institute them because they could very quickly now Texas is second, but other states that make the top 10 are states like Illinois, um, yep. uh, other, other left-wing bastions. And speaking of Illinois, the last point that, that Harris makes in this, this piece is about school choice in Chicago. And I actually yep. think that this is one of the most upsetting of all of the arguments that he lays forward in this piece. He shows the disparity based on local governmental control in Chicago, where the constituents are effectively able to gerrymander school districts so that some, even ones across the street from each other, are incredibly well-funded. They look like Google's campus. And right. across the street, they don't have AC or doors. I mean, it, or, or ceiling from the elements. Yeah. Right? It, like it's the wind insane. can just blow through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, looking at the actual pictures that he turned up of, of basically schools that are, uh, you know, less than a mile from each other. It's right. just insane. Right. Part of this is because of the ability for the parents to lobby their local government and make these make these lines, make these gerrymanderous lines. And the other part is because the government refuses to introduce something like school choice. 
right? Mm-hmm. You can't choose to send your kid across the street to go to a better funded school because we're funding the the districts and not funding the students. Right. Huge issue that the right often brings up. But why won't they change it? Well, it's because these liberal parents vote blue, live in Chicago, um, bluest bluest city in you know that part of the country refuse to give up what they have for the principle, right? For the for the party line. Correct. And so Johnny goes through these three points and then basically says it's time to practice what we preach. That's the wrong takeaway. And when you meld this with Glenn Greenwald's article, I think there's some real insight to be gained. So enter the carpooling. Glenn says that they're unable to turn to think in terms of principle because tribalism trumps it in their hierarchy of values. Yep. Harris says that when you look at the actual data on the ground, when they have the power to enact it, the left does not do what it says it prefers. Mm-hmm. And you're left with this idea that the lefts need to improve their adherence to their principles and reevaluate the importance of their principles. It won't work. It won't work. And the reason is because it's not that the left is insufficiently principled. It's actually anti-principle. What is a principle? Hunter, you kind of laid it out earlier. The left has these truisms that they repeat. But when push comes to shove, they don't enact them. Or when push comes to shove, they don't think about them. They think in contravention to them. What is a principle? Like, what's a good definition for a principle? Let me bring one up, one example. Let's say the phrase, believe all women, right? Mm -hmm. It's this idea from the left that when a woman makes a rape accusation, she's telling the truth and deserves to be believed. However, there's been plenty of times when, let's say someone on the right makes that case, like let's say Juanita Broderick and President Clinton, or when a woman actually engages in that type of behavior, like let's say, what's her name, Katie Hill, Kathy Hill? Congresswoman? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's Katie Hill. Okay. Where we throw that out the window. Right. We, we assumed it was axiomatic truth to your viewpoint, but then we discard it as soon as it involves our thinking and our actions. It is Katie Hill. Okay. That's not principled thinking. That's not principled behavior. So you can't say that believe all women is a principle, right? Here's my definition of what a principle would be. I think a principle is a set of ideas that you become responsible to. If you have a principle and you hold a principle, then it's your responsibility to defend that principle both in word and deed when it's your opportunity. And that's not to say that you can't fail. But it is to say that if the principle is fungible repeatedly, when you bump into situations that violate it, then it's not actually a principle. Mm -hmm. I think that the left is anti-principle. 
because principle requires responsibility. And I think that the left is anti-responsibility. Let me make the case for that. The 60s. Well, <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of. Uh, but think about all of the ways in which the left has behaved, not in a irresponsible fa- fashion, but in an anti-responsible fashion. Mm. I should be able to engage in whatever promiscuous sex that I want to. And if the natural outcome of that sex occurs, then I should be allowed to kill the baby. That's not irresponsible behavior. That's anti-responsible behavior. And when Wolf gets on her, her comedy quote unquote network and says, shout your abortion and, and salute to abortion and all this stuff, you're not being irresponsible. You're praising irresponsibility, right? You're attacking the, the underpinnings of responsibility itself. Right. What about safe spaces and trigger warnings? I shouldn't have to engage with things that make me feel uncomfortable and take responsibility for my own viewpoint when it's attacked. I should be insulated from that. Mm-hmm. If I make poor economic choices and I rent an apartment that I can't afford or, let's say, take a student loan that I can't afford. AOC was just arguing this on the floor of the house a couple of days ago. Then it should be the government's Grohl to step in and shield me from the responsibility of my own actions. Hmm. They're not irresponsible. They're anti-responsibility. And the distinction matters because that's the difference between not being principled enough, which is Harris and Greenwald's argument, and being against the idea of a principle in the first place. Hmm. And that's where I think that the intersection of their arguments are very illustrative, but don't go far enough. It's not simply that other people aren't principled when they don't agree with you. It's that it requires principles to make repeatable conclusions regardless of the individuals involved. And to to accomplish that, to accomplish that, the principle has to be enacted. The principle has to be part of your paradigm of thinking it has got to be a fundamental bedrock of your identity your intellectual identity that's what makes a principle a principle and you don't have that without responsibility why why are we here why are we at a place where it appears that half of the political system is not engaging in irresponsible behavior but anti-responsible behavior I think it's actually illustrative that you brought up a billion Americans um, and, and talked about the religious arguments in it. Yeah. Where does responsibility come from? What's your thoughts on that, Hunter? Um, you know, I, I want to add one thing here bef- before I jump on your point. And sure. it's like, uh, can you think of a less unprincipled or less principled person than Donald Trump? And it's like, ah, dang it, you got us. Way to go. Well, that's the show, everybody. You know what <laughs> I mean? And like, like, I, 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 but I, I think, and this is kind of, I can't remember, Chris, if we were having this conversation during the show or uh, before the show. But, you know, if you look at the left, it's very clear whenever you open up any media on that side of the aisle or hear any politician speak, man, you know the marching orders that day, right? 
it's yeah. very yeah. it's very obvious what the direction of the party is what the future of everything is and it, there's no question and so when you say the left is unprincipled what you're saying is the very clear marching orders and future we see for the country that this side of the aisle puts out they don't really purport they don't really act on it right it, it, the principle doesn't guide their actions okay or their thoughts uh, yeah the right to some extent because of what we believe and some to some extent because we struggle in putting forth a, a a narrative at this point that binds us all together there's a bunch of different camps over here right there is the populist right which is crazy <laughs> and, and that's the worst way to put there's it. the far there's right the, which is crazy and the populist right which is stupid then there's the libertarians which are also crazy <laughs> you know but and so but but I think there is this conservative movement, right? And that conservative movement, it, 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 it believes a lot in the principles that built the nation, right? And yes. they stick to those. And and that's that's the piece I think you're trying to talk about. And I think what we both want is we want that viewpoint to continue to gain traction. Absolutely. Um, and so um, to go back, so I just want to say that because I want to, I don't want people to think that you know we're necessarily not seeing the we're just pointing our fingers across the aisle and yelling at the uh, yelling at people that are doing right. it wrong and, and not seeing the obvious crazy let, people on our side. Let me say this too. There are unprincipled people of which Donald Trump is chief that sure. take principled positions on things. For instance, That's true. the right believes in lower taxes and Donald Trump acted principally in lowering the taxes on middle, middle income Americans. Right. So that was a principled behavior from a generally unprincipled person. Right. So even among the right, there are different principles that people can hold and then take principled actions based on those principles, whether or not I disagree with them. The problem with the left on the left is a little bit different. I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't, there aren't hypocrites uh, in the, on the right as well, but by and large, the left appears to be acting with the spirit of hypocrisy, which is this, this, that's the, the point I was trying to make that there's this widespread disenfranchising of their own quote unquote principles. These, these fake axioms that they hold when it comes to their enactment of the policy and you you said it right there you know the marching orders that day there is a more ubiquitous front that is marching mm-hmm. behind this tribalist non non-principally informed mission on that side mm-hmm. of the aisle does that make more sense yes it does it and it's even in those like cuts you'll see those super cuts you'll see where they just take news side after news side of saying the same two or three words you know and it's like try to get Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder to have the same opinion on anything you yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, right. So they have anyway. the, they have the same goals. You'll never yeah. hear them say the same words. You know right, what I'm saying? Exactly. Yes, I do. But you um, started to answer my question, and I think yeah. I think we're headed to the the right spot. Then my question was, where do responsibilities come from? Right, and so they they come from morals. Is the simplest hundred percent, and they come from uh, universal rules, right? And that 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 spirit that kind of speaks through all those. Well, we we just stepped into the realm of the religious very quickly, right? Yes, and, absolutely. And and so and the that, philosophical. Yeah, and that's why Benjamin Franklin said, you know, th- that the government that they built was for a moral and religious people, right? Is because it wasn't going to say anything about that, but if you didn't bring that to it, it would quickly devolve, right? And, absolutely. And so and so that was why they they built the system the way they did and they assume certain things about it. Um, 
but I, 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 this becomes such a difficult conversation because it's hard to even know where to begin to talk about. Like, what point in history do you start from? Which point in, you know, is it the 60s or is it the 1850s? Right. Like what when is the magic period? You know, is it, it do we talk about, you know, TikTok or do we talk about evolution? You know, like it becomes sure. it becomes almost impossible to like tell you where where it happened because it's always been happening. Right. Um, but I but I think to keep it in the context of today and to not like turn this into a very, very long thing. There are moral presupp- presuppositions that guide and influence our lives and have done that for centuries and millennia and we wrap those all up in a nice little bow and call them judeo-christian principles right and yep. with greek philosophy brought into all of that right yeah, we you're use... basically quoting out of ben shapiro's the right side of history right now right Correct. it's this it's this intermarriage between greek theological analysis and judeo-christian principles that are the underpinning of morality in the west and have been and, classically and no part of our history does that better than john 1 1 in the beginning was the logos it's a jewish man using a greek word to talk about god yes right absolutely it, it happened it happens right there and it and it, it means something beyond what it could mean in Ju- in, in, in hebrew right it becomes it becomes something different it becomes this new idea when those cultures meet right it's like ah that idea that you have in your language let me combine that with our god Right. And it actually is going to say something about our God that is true, that has always been true, but now can be expressed in a different mode. Yeah. Right? And so let, me, that, let me let me like supersize that logos yeah. is not an inconsequential word in Greek. In fact, sure. if you could pick one word that characterized Greek intellectual thought, the beginning of modern philosophy, the beginning of philosophy in general, it would mm-hmm. be the word logos. Logos was not yeah. just the word to describe words. It was the idea that there was a spirit, a a guiding force behind the truth of reality that you could speak the truth and therefore speak the logos and be in discussion with something that was bigger than yourself. It is the distinction that is made in the allegory of the cave. It is there are reflections that you can analyze on the wall of the cave, but outside there is logos outside. There is truth outside. There is the, the reality of what things are. And logos is the embodiment of that spirit. It is the, it is the hands and feet of that force. It's not just truth. It's not just words. It is bigger than both of those things. So when Luke makes that statement, not in the beginning was the word, but in the beginning was the logos. Yeah. He is saying that this this analytical bedrock of Greek philosophy rests on shoulders far deeper and far more eldritch and arcane than you so far have given credit for it because yes. it's it is it is you know it is Jehovah right. that you exactly. that your ability to reason with the world rests upon. Yeah. Brilliant for you to point that out. Well, thank you, but. I, I I didn't make it up, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's good to know. Um, I, I would love to have said I did, but I didn't. <laughs> and so, but you're not but, quite old uh, enough. I'm not quite old enough. It turns out I am not two million years old. Uh, but I can read, so that's nice. Um, so, but that idea is Show what's un- been under attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That idea is what's been under the attack, and the guises that attacked it are numerous. It's 
socialism, it's communism, it's materialism, right? It, it's all these things. It's it's free love, right? It, it, it's all this nonsense. It's critical race theory in your schools. Um, and so that's where principles come from, right? They're under attack by various sociological forces. And in today, one place where we clearly see that is in the realm of politics. And it's really the realm where they don't belong, but unfortunately they live there right now. Um, and so that's, well, that's, that's why the entire game that's being played. The entire game is right. do we right. rest on the shoulders of giants or are we our own gods? And yes. if yes. your answer is that we are your, I, I'm my own God, then the idea of the colossal weight of the value of John 1.1 1, 1 must be eroded because its appearance is an affront to my current religious ideology embedded in my political animal nature where the guiding collective will of the people will bring about heaven, where it will bring about the promised land and paradises because if I am my own God, then and we, then the government is a collection of the will of the gods, right? And so it necessarily infuses itself into politics when you behave that way. And and the fruits are evident. Let's rewrite basic biology, biology because I'm my own god. Let's let's rewrite our basic understandings of. Oh, well, how about this one? How about this one? Math is racist. Right. Yeah. We're gonna. That's a, that's uh, we're gonna. Cool one. Yeah, we're going to remove the influence of Pythagoras generally if it means that we reach a more equitable society. It's necessary to a attack the moral underpinnings of society and erode the fabric upon which those moral underpinnings influence us in our day-to-day -day lives because each one of them is an affront to the idea that man might be its own savior. Hmm. I, I love the, you know... I want to talk about math um, and the fact that that's under attack and what that means. Math is not something I'm very good at, but math is fundamental to beauty. And it's something I think people don't think about a lot because they take beauty and math for granted. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's hard it's not a, to. Right. Exactly. Because you, just look at something and have an impression on it if, if it's beautiful or not. And you can also look at something and have an impression on it once you understand the concepts to some extent, uh, whether how many of it exist, right? Yeah. How and many so, fingers do you have? You take it for granted. Exactly, right. Um, and what, what people are saying when they say math is racist, right? Is they're taking the... the most powerful tool humans have ever developed to describe their environment and saying that is racist. Right. Right. And saying it's evil. Right. And so it's absurd on it, on its face. And then secondly, they say beauty is racist. It's like, you just took us all the way back to, you know, you took us way back past slavery, dude. You know, you took us to saying that the people that live down in that continent, they're crazy. They're wild savages, right? They're beasts, right? That's where you just took us to, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it, it, it's terrifying because they say it casually because they want a political outcome, right? Yeah. They want test scores to not matter. They want the teachers unions to be happy that they don't have to teach the test anymore, right? They want their kids to get the good jobs 
in those in, in whatever school it is and not have to earn it right they want everyone to have no padded corners anymore it's terrifying right yeah and, and it's it, it's all because of the lack of a principle to guide them yeah a hundred percent i i'm i'm gonna repeat that in a different way sure morons ask themselves the question how do we bring about paradise how do we make the world perfect how right. do we make the world in our own image right and they say well we have to we have to remove these evil things like inequality the haves and the have-nots right solve all the inequality to whom much is given more will be added and to he who has nothing everything will be taken away hmm. There, there's some truth there that goes deeper than we're willing to admit a lot of the time. The, this is the idea. So let's let's fix the test scores because if if the tests if there's no verifiable metric, then everyone will have the same opportunity, right, or the same outcomes. Hopefully, um, take it back a step. The what what do they mean when they say racist? Well, the, the racism is the ultimate pejorative in American society. It is fundamentally flawed and racism true racism is i agree with that there's very few ideas that are more pernicious than that one but that is the that's the point when you say math is racist you're saying that the <coughs> excuse me that the institutions that we set up around the most basic concepts in a, in the entire world are somehow fundamentally flawed that's the argument mm -hmm. that's being made mm -hmm. how many fingers do you have 10 is there any statement that is less obvious than that mm -hmm. it, it, it is what the greeks might call very simply obvious logos in action making that statement is the logos itself did we go to the moon because all the tap all the test scores were equal or did mm -hmm. we go to the moon because we got incredibly incredibly good at math the answer is obvious but it's not just it's not just our future success that is at stake it is not just that that is on the chopping block that's why it's math is racist because the argument is logos itself is fundamentally flawed Mm, mm, that's I must make the world into my image because the image that it currently is in is beyond repair. Mm. That's the argument that's being made. That's the yeah. argument that goes before and comes after many of the current leftist viewpoints. And there's a reason why when you attack logos itself and that results in an undermining of, and when I say logos, I mean, John's logos, the idea that we sit on the shoulders of giants that, that, before the earth had form that a spirit surface hovered over the surface of the waters and that logos spoke and reality instantiated itself as we currently experience it when you attack that logos mm. you undermine the moral center not just of the west but of humanity in general and right. we see it happening i can have all the the promiscuous sex that i want and I shouldn't have any responsibility. By the way, there's a million genders in biology. Let's just get rid of it. By the way, church is is has outlived its course. Religion is this violative, warmongering institution that must be done away with. You have to bake the cake, right? You see the hollowing of the the moral fabric that used to bind this country together, and of which 
is necessary to govern a people by our documents. Any other people is insufficient, right? It is the attack on morality itself. You undermine morality. You undermine the ability to be principled. It's not lack of dedication to the principles. It is anti-principle itself because it is secular humanist drivel and not a recognition that we are sinners in the hands of a mighty God. Hmm. Well said. Um, but what principles, Christopher, matter more than your New Year's resolutions? And I know you're thinking, how am I going to eat all that ham on Christmas Day? How are you going to manage it? How are you going to manage it? And then you're going to look you're at You're just your... one stomach. And think <laughs> of all like, the ham how? that there might be. Right. And ask yourself the questions. You don't know. Is it spiral cut? Is it honey baked? It's simply insufficient. Insufficient I... data to determine how one might eat all the ham. And then once you've eaten it, then what have you accomplished? Well, you're going to gain 400 pounds from eating the ham? If you... <laughs> if you believe in principles, then you definitely are going to make some New Year's resolutions. And this bit doesn't work anymore. So <laughs> eat, clean up your room and go to fnxfit.com, Carl Pulling, or something or other, and get yourself some uh, protein powder. Because, you know, if you're going to eat all that ham, you might as well turn it to muscle while you're at it, right? Hunter, and, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. I've completely blown out my voice. Cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> and how are you possibly going to be principled and moral and godly if you're a fat, disgusting, odious slob without the tinctures and ointments and prescriptions at fnxfit.com? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not looking good for you, bud. So get over there. We've got a cool coupon for you, 15% off. Uh, you can use the link. Is it carlpooling.com slash fnxfit? That'll work. Uh, That'll work. And, and use checkout and, code Pooling at your at your cart um, yeah. for one 5% off your order. Seriously, yeah. do it. Hey, do I it. want to say one other thing, Hunter. I, I've had like 100 conversations in the past week of yeah, people that have been really listening uplifting. to the show. And have have been engaged and are like making jokes at things I almost forgot. It's been yeah. so edifying. So first of all, thank you to everyone that's listening. Um, I, a lot of you know us personally. A lot of you don't, and we don't take it for granted. The idea that you guys would spend time uh, listening to us and engaging with these ideas means the world to us. It's the reason that um, that this show exists is to to tell the truth before it's too late and and the idea that people actually care enough to listen to that and tell us how they're enjoying it that is um that is Humble. not a better present that you can give me truly mm. um so thank you for all the people that have 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 reached out about that and secondly if that is you and you don't leave us a review on itunes i swear <laughs> to god what are you doing you want to you want to walk up to me and make a joke like hi I'm on the I'm a, and you haven't left me a five star rating and review, animal, you beast, you feckless savage, get out of my podcast until you write a review and then come on back you know that's fine yeah come on back were you talking to me there real were you were you talking to me there though have you not rated us no I always thought you were telling me to get out of the podcast for a second oh there. no I'm telling them. Oh, okay. Okay. But if you well, haven't left a Hunter, I, I just take people's phones when they leave them sitting places and I subscribe <laughs> to the show and leave a five star review. It's that's brilliant. How it's we a brilliant grow. tactic. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, it's word of mouth. No, it's gorilla. No, you it's know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, 
minor petty theft and then return. <laughs> Um, exactly right also exactly i will right. say that uh after the rittenhouse episode you guys have been listening to it like gangbusters um season three is already back at all-time highs of of listenership so thank you thank you so much we are truly humbled by the fact that you guys would would uh spend your time with us so yeah we're gonna do a holiday episode that's super pc so feel free to share it with your family and then we can use that to growth and then psych them out in the next episode it'll yeah. be great yeah tell your friends tell your friends okay um, the show's at carlpulling.com. You can find all of our links there. Emails at carlpulling at gmail.com. I'm at Chris X Carl on social. Hunter's at emotional Carl. And then all the show's socials are carlpulling or carlpulling podcast. We love you. Be good. Be healthier than we are. Um, fnxfit.com slash, uh, or carlpulling.com slash fnxfit. And in this time of year when, when diseases abound, uh, as do bad decisions, please ensure that you get tested. Yeah.